A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of After Work Drinks. I feel like I have an ASMR voice on right now because I'm in a rogue room trying to be quiet and there's heaps of um it's quite echoey so welcome to <laughs> my new profession i wish we could do a super cut of all the rooms i've been in you've checked in yeah it's wild it's like a disgusting airbnb in milan a beautiful hotel in paris um a house in la a hotel in new york it's it's been that one everywhere. Where you were like, I'm just off a cliff in New Zealand. I was like, <laughs> okay. You're like, look. I was like, oh, fine. When we, Not when even we surprised anymore. When we tried to do it when I was in Botswana and the internet just wouldn't work. <laughs> <laughs> and when we tried to do it when I was in China and I like it was like VPNs are a thing I didn't even know. I was yeah. just trapped. Ah, oh, the many faces of after work drinks. But welcome everybody. Hello. <laughs> Why I'm did you say it like that? Our intro. Oh yeah. I don't know. I'm just trying something new. Um, we forgot to say who we are. We need to figure out this intro business. Like, I'm gonna put that on the to-do list. But I am Isabel Truman, and this is Grace O'Neill, and we are journalists. And um, what else are we? Podcast friends and friends. BFFs. Friends. Yes. Okay. Um, let's jump into things. What have you been yes. doing this week? Are you guys still in full lockdown? Yes. Um. So things started opening yesterday. Like, uh, so small non-essential businesses started opening. I just really love England. I feel like they have a very um, 
hands-off approach to their own citizens. And what I mean by that is in Australia, they're very strict and hands-on with everyone. But here, for example, on Friday night, so I've just moved into a place in Notting Hill and we're literally like a five-minute walk from Portobello. And on Friday night, all of these places were open and they were all just selling takeaway beer in a takeaway cup with a little lid on. And the street was just full of people just drinking beer on the street. And it was just completely relaxed. There was no police. No one was acting like a hooligan. Everyone was just calm and collected. And it was just this really nice thing. And was everyone in their own little bubbles? Everyone was just standing around, like milling around in their own bubbles in the middle of the street and just chilling and talking and chatting and hanging out. And it was just really nice. So that was kind of my first back to reality experience mm. which was lovely because it's boris trying to and get then, the um economy back up and running so he's kind of opening stuff even though the cases are still really bad you know there was two new cases in new zealand today was there mm. well I, I listened to something on the daily um yesterday and it was saying that even though cases are going down in europe overall cases are going up worldwide still Mm. the trajectory of it isn't actually going down and then i think about everyone going back to real life and i just think that it will have to have a huge spike again i just think with all this um other stuff we've been talking about i just kind of forgot about covid i know same well it's crazy because new zealand got rid of it and then we just had two cases because the people came in from the uk of course Mm. um and the uk is bloody riddled everyone has it (laughs) Everyone, everyone has it. Yeah. Like they're huge numbers are only people getting tested and no one is getting tested. Yeah. Um, And they were exempt from uh, what's it called? Isolating because they were going to a funeral Um, and then they got COVID. Well, they had COVID. So. Uh, That's a bit stressful. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So things are starting to reopen, but it's very slow process here. So, yeah, it's like an interesting time here at the moment. And then in terms of watching stuff, I watched last night Dave Chappelle's new comedy special, everyone's favorite problematic comedian, and it's called 846, which is obviously how long the police officers kneeled on George Floyd's neck. And it's not really a comedy set. It's just him kind of talking and being mad and talking about how long he's been discussing this topic before. Oh, did you? Mm. Yeah. What did you think? Yeah, it was really good. Yes. So I love him, but he's annoying. I don't know. I know (laughs) like nothing about him. Right. So he's he's got like a big cult following, and I'm I have been a huge fan for a while, and do love him and think he's just incredibly smart. But he has a lot of criticism among the black feminist community, and even when I was watching it. I was kind of like, why aren't you talking about Breonna Taylor? Because he talked about so many examples of police brutality. And I understand that most of them are aimed at black men. But it felt like a kind of gaping hole Mm. in the segment to me that that had happened the exact same week and just wasn't being discussed. And then a lot of the criticism about Breonna Taylor is that it's just not getting the same traction. Um, And then even when he was talking about right-wing pro-Trump pundits they were all women and he was just calling them like the c-word and bitches and whatever I just yeah Mm. it's kind of interesting but it's I think it's good as well to just remind yourself 
that you shouldn't treat any celebrity as a moral guidance, like a moral guidance point for yourself. You know what I mean? You should go into every situation with a celebrity with trepidation and with a feeling of, I'm just going to enjoy what they have to offer, but what they have to offer isn't Bible. Like I think during this time, everyone's freaking out because celebrities are being useless with COVID or with the Black Lives Matter protests. Do you see that really embarrassing video that went around of the celebrities? No. It's so bad. What's happened? They're like, it's Sarah Paulson and oh, Aaron Paul. And I saw something. I've else. seen Sarah Paulson's face around. I think I forwarded it to doing? you and I was like, watch this and cry. And they're like, I am to blame. I'm to blame. I'm so sorry. I'm to blame. It's just so cringe. About what? About racism. Oh, no. Oh, it's so naughty. I feel like I might send it to you now so you can see. I take responsibility. I take responsibility. I Who's take that? Kisha. Responsibility Kisha. For every unchecked moment. For every time it oh, was easier to God. more than to call it out for what it was. Every not so funny joke. Who's that? Is that Jennifer Aniston's every ex-husband? Yeah. Every blatant injustice. I love that you refer to him like that. Every time I remain silent. What? When? Yeah, I'm like, why, why did, did you, you do, do that? that? <laughs> <laughs> Haven't they learned to not do these things? Oh, I love this guy. Stanley, Stanley Tucci. I know. What's he doing here? It's disappointing. It's a lineup of randoms and a few faves, and it's disappointing. Jennifer Aniston's husband looks like a thug. I know. He's, a, he's got fuckboy energy. Fuckboy energy. I stand against hate. Mm. I stand against hate. I stand against hate. Stop. I stand okay, against I think hate. I've seen enough. You get the picture, hate. and it's a troubling one. Wow, I hate that so much. Phoebe Robinson <laughs> from Two Dope Queens shared it. That's how I saw it. And the caption was, I take responsibility, dot, dot, dot. Um, okay, question mark. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. I think the shit thing is... I just don't know how they pitched these ideas because, you know, how what would make them say yes? It's going to be all cut in black and white. It's going to be all of you with this like sad song behind you. It just sounds not good. Yeah, I think it is this scrambling moment for white people where they're realizing that they can't take the I'm just going to sit back and listen argument anymore and that they have to talk about it or they get in trouble. Yes. But then no one knows how to talk about it. Yes. There was someone who wrote something for Airmail Weekly, actually, which I didn't agree with, but I'll put it in the notes. She was talking about how she feels like there's no right way to do activism online as a white person at this moment because Mm. staying silent is silence is violence. Posting about it is seeing as being like a white savior or as bandwagoning or performative allyship. I kind of think that people are in that bracket of not knowing what to do. But I do think that it's kind of fine for white people to feel a bit uncomfortable while they navigate what the right thing to do is. Yeah, totally. It was like that black square thing. Yeah. Everyone posted it because they wanted to support. But then there was heaps of backlash because maybe it wasn't the right thing to do, according to a lot of black people. But... Obviously, you're just going to make mistakes along the way until you figure it out. 
Yeah, exactly. And you have good intentions, but intentions don't aren't everything. They're not even that important, honestly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just the actual impact that it has. But yeah, so um, that's been everything. What I have you been doing. Um, went to the Black Lives Matter march in Auckland. So there was another one, um, and mm-hmm. it was really. Um, so, because I went to the Wellington one a couple of weeks ago, because that's where I was, and that was more of a um, kind of standing candlelit memorial. So it was really, really sad, and um, a lot of I think I talked about it on the podcast. A lot of um, African American people were talking, um, whose families are back there, and like who who's had friends who had been killed by police violence, and they read out every single name of the known people killed by police. And the like in the dark and in the rain and everyone it was just really intense. So this one was a bit different because it was super um, um, powerful with all of the speeches and especially because heaps of them were focused on Maori rights and Indigenous rights and like all of this guns crap that they've been trialing in New Zealand, which has now been shut down. Um, and there was three young girls who did a spoken word piece. I don't know if you saw. I shared it on Instagram, but it was incredible all about the Maori language and how um people have tried to wipe it out and yeah it was really cool and then we did did the march but it was funny you go to the end of the march and this is just typical New Zealand there was just these people on this big bus um with loudspeakers and then they just played music and everyone danced nice Mm -mm. so that was cool um but it was funny it was when I was there because I was talking to my best friend when I was in Hawke's Bay and I was like, blah, 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 us as white women. And she was like, yeah, but you're not a white woman. You're white, pa- you're like incredibly white passing, but you're a third Maori. And so you're an indigenous person. Like she was like, I always think of that when we, with this whole thing. And obviously it's like all about America right now, but it's just a funny thing. Cause I just like think of myself as a white woman. And then, because I literally look so white but then you think about all of the different experiences you have being white passing and it's like quite a different, I feel like it's quite a different upbringing when I was talking to her about it, about the, the ways in which you notice racism because a lot of the time you're in you know, white people will talk to you. Like a big thing that we read about and just know ourselves is that a big part of racism is that white people change how they talk depending mm. on who's around mm. and what they feel like they can joke about or insinuations they can make. So yeah. I guess you're seeing both sides of that. So I wonder what, yeah. Yeah. So I was saying that my entire childhood growing up, everyone was being racist towards Maldives. And I was like, cool that my dad is like three quarters Maldi. <laughs> and mm. you know, like, and people just wouldn't even know. Um, so it's funny. Cause you just, I think you just grow up with more of a knowledge of how, um, Racism is just everywhere. Yeah. Another thing that kind of I've been thinking a lot about since all this Black Lives Matter stuff is like how shit it would, well, how horrible it would be to have no idea of your ancestry and no idea of your history, which every African American descendant of slaves doesn't know which country they're from in Africa, doesn't know anything about the, yeah, their like native land in that broader sense, because obviously America is, because that's where they grew up, but it's, 
and then that's kind of like with me with my maori heritage because i don't really have a relationship with my real dad so i've never known anything about that whole side of my life and like for years growing up i remember wanting to find out about it and then just feeling like i didn't belong or because i was white like looked white i was like so out of my depth and people wouldn't think i was yeah it was it's so it's like such a weird thing and so and all of this i is remember like, you talking about wanting to when you were a kid wanting to partake in in oh, a yeah. dance or something Kapahaka, was like yeah. traditional yeah and how because you looked so white they wouldn't let me wouldn't want to let you in yeah the yeah. teacher wouldn't let me join because she thought i wasn't moldy enough um so i guess that's maybe where it started and i had to go home and bring in my birth certificate in order for them to let me into kapahaka crazy and what was the education like at school because i know it's so abysmal in australia what was the way that you were taught about that history um we're taught i mean we're taught a lot about the treaty of waitangi and we're i can't my memory is just so bad i literally can't really remember what we're taught in school but i do know um my sister's girlfriend molly is studying to be a teacher and she said that um yeah there's like a lot of work that needs to be done in schools she said that um in when she was doing her training oh fuck, i can't remember the exact story but basically a teacher said you don't need to t- teach these kids about the treaty of waitangi because there's no brown kids in this class so you only need to teach the brown kids and the white kids don't need to know also at the march my sister her name's nahiwi she was she's incredibly white passing as well but she has a maori first and last name so people can kind of People associate her with being Māori far more than they would with me, even though we look identical. Um, she said that when she was at high school, um, in her class, the teacher talked to all of the white kids about um, going and studying medicine and studying to be a lawyer and going to university, and the teacher excluded her and the two other brown kids and wouldn't talk to them about uni at all. Cause they didn't, what? Yeah. Like, it's crazy. She was telling me this on Sunday. I was like, why have you never told me this before? I'm going to literally go to the school and, like, kill your teacher. Yeah. And then she, when she got into med, she said that her um, schoolmate who also got into med went to school and told the teacher that he'd gotten in and so had Nahiwi. And the teacher um, was like, oh, we should all catch up and have a celebratory dinner. And it's like, no, bitch, you wouldn't even speak to her about it. You didn't think she was ever going to get in because of her, what, her name? yeah it's yeah it's beyond it's outrageous yeah so anyway that was just very interesting and why the reason i got onto that is because one of the girls uh two of the girls who did the spoken word poetry who are part maori also look quite white passing so i was like god maybe i could just go back into kapahaka yeah (laughs) and then what else i watched a movie with shea labeouf in it when did he get so hot? I always thought that everyone thought he was hot and I just didn't understand. No, he just, I think it's a fresh thing. He got like really thick for want of a better word. Not not thick, like I guess it's muscular. Mm. He got very beefed up and then covered in tats. And I think then he got hot. Mm, he's kind of quite rugged as well but i watched he's in a movie called peanut butter falcon and it's really good also have you watched honey boy yet no please watch it honey boy's sad i just don't like him it's a really good movie 
Yeah, I'm sure it is. I don't think he's not talented. He's just one of those celebrities that I have a strange aversion to. And I just think that's what's stopping me. Hmm. He hasn't done anything. (laughs) To you personally. (laughs) No. Yeah. Anyway, Peanut Butter Falcon is a really... Oh, it's got Dakota Johnson in it. That might get you in. Oh, okay, okay. Mm. Now we're talking. So it's... Is it... What's the deal with it? He's just in it. So... It's about a Down syndrome boy who escapes from the, like, I think he's being looked after in an old folks home for some weird reason. Um, and Dakota Johnson works there and he escapes and then he finds Shia LaBeouf and then tags along with him. And then Dakota Johnson comes and hunts them down and it's like really feel good and um, funny and cute. So okay. I would highly recommend. Actually, um, Nesta one. recommended it on our Instagram when we did her movies. Uh. There you go. Mm. And my other recommendation is me being disgusting again and recommending our own podcast. But um, the reason being is because our race episode is the most listened to, well, one of the top three. Everyone loves hearing about my fucking heartbreak. But one of I know it's is this heartbreak, climate change, racism. That's our tri- trifecta of oh viral God. episodes. It's so funny. Um, <laughs> I need to listen back to that, but it's good because I caught up with my friend today, and I was like, I don't know if you know, but me and Anton broke up, and she was like, Doll, I know all about it from your podcast. I was like, good. I'm across it. Um, but the racism episode is one of our top three episodes ever, and this episode should be literally up there right beside it if not higher because we talked to kitty cash who grew up in new york she is a black woman in america and she speaks so eloquently and so in depth about her experiences her lived experiences and her experiences with the police and her experiences with um microaggressions and her experiences with white privilege and everything it is literally a must listen it's my favorite episode today I think so too because we she's amazing a DJ former fashion PR worked with Rihanna just a queen so so we'd been in the works to talk to her for a while mm. and then obviously this the pandemic the timing of the conversation meant that it became the entirety of our conversation as it should have and I think just having someone that was willing to be that kind of candid and open as someone who's worked across music and the really high echelons of fashion as well i think her perspective is just so unique even talking about being on fashion sets for shoots for major magazines and getting there and a makeup artist and a hairstylist can't do her hair i know so she said that now she and so many other black creatives and black models will literally get their hair makeup nails eyebrows everything done out of their own pocket before they rock up to a photo shoot because they know that they're not going to be able to get their hair and makeup done properly by the artists there. Just the elements of it are so insidious and exist in like every part of our society and just being able to hear someone talk about that, even calmly. I just mm. think, yeah. Yeah, it's such it an interesting episode. I, I'm going to re-listen to it. I just want to say like, to anybody that I thought was a friend, if they're not speaking up about this, they're not my friend. There's mm-hmm. no way that you could be my friend, you know? Because like, this is this is not some for joke shit. This is not for a moment. This is really my life. This is my sister's life. This is my friend's life. This is my family's life. This is gonna be my kids' lives. 
you know, so it's like if you are not really sticking up and standing for what is right, then you cannot be my friend because that means that you don't really care about me. Just that's just on like a basic human level. And I just feel like being silent about it because you're afraid. People are dying. Like people are really dying. People are afraid every fucking day to leave their house. That's not an excuse. And I just don't think that you can be a consumer of black fashion, of black music, of black culture. And then when shit hits the fan, you now just are like, I don't see that. Or I don't want to be a part of that because it's convenient for you because that's the easy thing to do. You know, if that's the case, then just go bump some Taylor Swift. Like, you know what I mean? Mm. Like you can't just casually just say, oh yeah, like I don't, I don't want to be a part of that. That's too heavy. I mean, the music is heavy. If you listen to the music, the music is heavy. If you list, if you figure out the reference to the collection, the collection is heavy. You know, people are embedding their stories within all these mediums of art. So I just don't think it's acceptable to say, oh, this person is my friend. Or like, yeah, we usually go to these dinners once a week and then not think that I'm not going to notice if you haven't said anything. So on that topic, um, there was a rally in Brooklyn on the weekend with 15,000 people in attendance for Black Trans Lives Matter because of the murder of two black trans women last week in, 20, in the same 24 hours, actually, Rhea Milton and Dominique Fells. Um, and it's just, we've been, have, I mean, we had a conversation about, I feel like we always jump on the conversation a week ahead but it was bloody JK Rowling, which got us there. But we had a conversation obviously last night, I mean, last week about trans people being excluded from every conversation, whether that's Black Lives Matter or LGBT or anything. And just these murders and the lack, kind of lack of media coverage and outrage is just shows exactly what, why that march needed to happen. So I was thinking recently about LGBTQ rights in general and about how even from when we grew up, we feel like we've made so much progress for gay and lesbian rights and dialogue in how we talk about things socially. It just feels so um, accepted now in a way it wasn't even 10 years ago. And I'm not saying that naively. I know that homophobia still exists and that hate crimes against gay people still exist, but I just feel like the needle has moved so far in our lifetime to the point that our kids' generation won't be able to believe that we existed in a time where marriage equality wasn't legal, for Mm -hmm. example. And I just think with trans rights, that conversation has moved, but just not with the same speed. I just think socially people are just still not, there yet it just seems that there's a movement in the gay community to exclude trans there's a movement in the feminist community to exclude trans and it's just this group that is being left behind from these conversations that are just accelerating forward at this breakneck speed it's just so horrible as well because why would people who are oppressed want to be oppressors like actively you know what i mean like mm. actively leave a whole group of people out and make them feel horrible for being human. It just makes no sense. We both listened to um, a Locks episode on Jamila Jamil's podcast, I Way, and they are gender non-binary, so their pronouns are they and them. And they were speaking in such great detail about how 
like they grew up in a feminist household in an Indian family and their whole life just wanted to be part of the feminism movement and um, get rid- and help to fight sexism and all of these things and then realize that the feminist movement won't even accept them, like doesn't even want a bar of them. And it's like, why would you want to exclude people who want to fight for you? Yeah, exactly. And um, we talked about this last week, but this just like fucking strange idea, which I don't know where it came from that seems to exist in the feminist conversation that if you are have ever existed as a man that you somehow can never ever understand what it's like because you have male privilege yeah like you can never understand what it's like to be oppressed it's insane to me you're much more targeted if you're a man who is stepping out of the strict ideals of like masculinity than you are if you're a woman who completely abides by Mm what femininity should look like yeah under the patriarchal system yeah. i just don't understand yeah a lot said that they grew up in, in fear of constant violence never used the bathroom were scared of being around boys but um if they spent time with girls were bullied it would have just been and the whole time you're trying to hide who you are yeah and def- and the fact that de- defining women which is what jk how do you say her last name jk rowling or rowling i don't know oh, who cares Defining women by their ability to reproduce, which is what J.K. Rowling or Rowling said, is just the most sexist thing in the world. And defining 7.5 billion people by two categories, male or female, is just crazy. Why would you define people by their ability to reproduce when cis, a lot of cis women can't reproduce? Yeah, yeah. And I think as well what Alok was talking about in terms of being gendered on binary, which seems to have exposed them to her a lot more targeting and a lot more hate is that even in the conversations that we have about trans i feel like there's almost an acceptable face of trans which is you're born into the wrong body you transition and then you look incredibly female passing or incredibly male passing and then society can kind of get around that Mm. in a mainstream capacity and it's when people are saying i don't i don't know i want I'm somewhere in the middle and my gender is fluid. It uh, switches from day to day. Some days I feel extremely masculine. Some days I feel extremely feminine. I don't want to present as one thing or another. My identity is constantly shifting and changing and up in the air. It seems like when the trans conversation is still surrounded by the binaries of change from man to woman or change from woman to man, that seems to be Mm. the understanding we have of it that we're comfortable with socially. And I think that conversation of it being something a little bit less easy to define and less black and white and, and, and shifting and changing and fluid is the thing that makes people more uncomfortable. Yeah, God, people just need to shut up, though. I just don't see why. I just, yeah. People need to mind their own business. I even just think about it in terms of drag race where, you know, people are so fine and happy to get behind a gay man dressing up as a woman if there's a clear delineation between this is me as the man this is me as the woman this is me dressing up and it's a character and it's a performance and it's separate and then i change back to this guy Mm. drag people get around drag in that way but a lot was saying people get around drag in that way but they don't get around me having masculine features like a hairy chest body hair a beard but wearing a beautiful dress and high heels that they can't understand and doesn't compute. Mm. 
And this is the problem with contemporary feminism. The experiences of white, middle-class, cisgender, straight women are Mm -hmm. taken as the default experience for all women all across the world. So the way that they define patriarchy and the way that they experience violation from patriarchy is standardized as the only form of patriarchy. Mm -hmm. And that's what cis and white privilege looks like is being able to take your particular experiences and say that's the only experience. But actually, there are many experiences of patriarchy. And trans women and trans feminine people like me experience something called trans misogyny. And what trans misogyny looks like is the constant scrutiny of our bodies as if there's something fundamentally wrong with us and not that there's something fundamentally wrong with a binary gender system. So what that looks like is in my career, every interview I do, every room I'm in, people are literally just gawking at me. They can't even listen to what I'm saying. There's an obsession with my body. I see people looking at my genitalia, trying to figure out. I have people commenting lewdly about everything, everywhere I go. I'm hypersexualized or I'm hyper-desexualized. I'm seen mm-hmm. as an animal. And all of that is transmisogyny where I'm not even able to speak in the room because people just want to put me as the evening entertainment. That's what transmisogyny is. You imagine us as just on your, on, your, on your drag shows, but you don't actually imagine us in your boardrooms. You don't actually imagine us on your TV shows. You don't imagine mm-hmm. us on your subways. Transmisogyny is also about policing us so that you never see us. So what happens is so often people will say, trans women and trans women people, this is a new critique. This is new. You're just new. And it's like, actually, we've been here since the very beginning. It's just that you hit us. You kept us away. And now we're building our collective power and we're challenging that erasure. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. So something we were kind of shocked to find out about in great detail was how fucked up our co-working space is. Yes. <laughs> I was reading all of the stuff about the wing and I was like, we need to distance ourselves. Yeah, because we moved to London and thought we were going to go to this utopia, this inclusive, diverse beautiful community-minded space where there were events on all the time all the members knew each other it was all about creatives um super inclusive because the thing is that's like that's the thing the crazy thing is is when these companies 
go up in flames, it's always the ones that have so heavily marketed them. Well, not always, but the ones that have so heavily marketed themselves as being inclusive and being diverse, all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Because at the wing, so for anyone who doesn't know, the wing is a co-working space that's kind of, it started a few years ago and was marketed as being for women only, but it was very kind of creative and community minded and yeah, heaps of events. Um, and it started in New York and then moved to LA. So it's been around there for ages, but it, had, it was only just opening in London. Um, so we were some of the first members in London and you know what I mean? When you go in there, it's literally the most diverse place. The workers are diverse. The members are diverse. Um, but then behind the scenes, apparently they were just treating their um, black and brown employees like absolute garbage. Yeah. So Audrey Gelman, who is really good friends with Lena Dunham. I don't know if she still is. She was the character that Marnie in Girls was based off. And then she had cameoed as Charlie's new girlfriend. Mm-hmm. She launched the wing and became one of those. Emily Vice type billionaires on the cover of Forbes, unicorn, creating a multi multi million dollar female millennial working space people. And then, so when we started there, we got an email about how there'd been an incident where a member had been racist at one of the US locations and that they'd failed to properly investigate it and that they were opening up to the whole community their process to scrutiny to make sure something like that didn't happen again. So when we saw that, we thought that was a good thing that they were being so transparent about their process. But now... (laughs) Because I had gone to the wing in LA a few times and I have friends who work from there all the time and no one knew this was going on like and now there's so there's a an Instagram page that was started called flew the coop um which is sharing stories from members staff and guests um mostly staff and so many of the members are commenting saying that you you just would have no idea this was going on behind the scenes and all of the members are commenting saying you the staff are what made the wing what it was like without the staff the wing is literally just a pretty a pretty place to take an Instagram photo but but that wouldn't foster the incredible community it has that wouldn't make people want to go in there every single day um so it's quite crazy that they were treating people like this behind the scenes so a trans woman speaking of said that she went into the wing with a member because you can bring guests in and felt completely unwelcome the whole time and that the fact that they you know promote that they're inclusive is a complete crock of shit um, there's allegations of assault from the manager at the wing, New York, who allegedly would ask for massages from the Spanish staff and would grab people's hands and shove them down her back. HR was alerted and did nothing. And then there was a photo or Jesus. video or something of the same woman giving, making a staff member give her a foot rub and they took it to HR and HR was just like, didn't care. Oh, yeah. Okay, Jeffrey. Literally. Um, another, another worker said that the wing gaslit her so bad she had severe depression afterwards and couldn't go to job interviews um they tried to deny an employee mat leave it's like the more you get into it grace the more like you just it's so bad yeah yeah um tried to deny an employee mat leave told a black employee she had to come to work after having a miscarriage um 
someone wrote, no one in this company, and especially black and brown folks, have never been compensated properly for the emotional labor they had to exhaust while working in this very unsafe place. Black workers had a private WhatsApp. I think I think the majority, from what I'm reading, the majority of this happened in New York. Uh, black workers had a private WhatsApp group to talk about their treatment. Um, yeah, it's just really disappointing. It seems like the principle from what I, I hadn't read some of those really horrendous allegations and that's fucking horrible. Um, and I hope these things are investigated in a very serious like legal capacity so people can actually get proper compensation. Um, and we will make sure we look into that and support that however we can. Um, but I think that there was even a flawed premise in how the wing was launched, it seems, from what I was reading where staff members it seems were sold the idea that as staffers they would be talking to networking socializing with members and so it was kind of a way to be a member of the wing but you would didn't have to pay for the membership and you could earn money while you did it so if you're a uni student or you were still um trying to make ends meet it was the perfect job because it was going to give you access to industry contacts if you're a creative get meeting and chatting to people um without you having to get on a wait list or pay the expensive joining fees as a member but that is really not communicated from the members end. no yeah that's so true and and what the staff have to do is really disconnected from that idea. So staff, when we, even in London, staff are walking around spraying and wiping the table around you while you're working, giving you your food and then cleaning it up two seconds after you finished it. There isn't a culture of we're all just here coexisting together and you're in charge of putting your food away and you're in charge of cleaning up your space afterwards and you're in charge of, there's a very strong divide that's probably even stronger than 99% of co-working spaces. And yet members have been sold staff have been sold this lie because it hasn't been communicated to members that the staff are also creatives who are there to be meeting new people. So I think that's where that disconnect comes from. And and also if and also if that was communicated, members would be more than happy to help. The whole premise of the wing is that you you have this online portal and you fill out a profile and you say um things you're interested in things you want to learn from other members it connects you with members who are like-minded there's groups for uh, aspiring writers there's groups for uh people wanting to get into film there's you can go on your lunch break to an event where someone's um telling you how to pitch your first screenwriting project there's it is so or yeah graphic design or illustration yeah like they were offering animation or whatever they offer free um like 30 minute sessions with a money expert and to help you with your finances there's yoga there's breath work there's so many inclusive things that that's what it was kind of built on so when members go and when you go into the wing you are expecting and wanting people to smile at you say hi to you ask you what you do speak to you at the table and I do think that we kind of lost I don't think that translated that well in London because mm-hmm. I remember the first week I, I started there before you did because you weren't in London yet. Everyone was coming in, kind of looking at each other, smiling, wanting to be really chatty. And I think that just re- died off pretty quickly. And the fact that they say that to the staff but don't tell us that is 
crazy. Like I did speak to a couple of the staff and kind of become friendly with them, but not like they are definitely, it's more, they feel like it feels as though you're in a cafe the whole time. Yeah. It just doesn't, it, 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 the, the way that they, I think they want the members because they're paying a high premium to have premium level service. But that system doesn't make sense if you're then recruiting your staff based on the idea that they'll be working with, collaborating with, hanging out with, and talking to like-minded creative individuals. Like that's a very awkward system mm. to put into place. And so if you part of your induction to all the members is the staff aren't there to baby you, to look after you, to clean up after you. The staff are there to facilitate this space and they're all amazing people who are illustrators and writers and creatives and filmmakers and they're there to make friends and meet people. Um, the way that everyone approached being in that space would be totally different. I think that's part of it and I think that it seems from a lot of the uh, staff feedback that just the way they were treated behind the scenes was just this really harsh horrendous way i mean some of that stuff is literally illegal that you talked about yeah. but but even just the more basic demeaning level of you know people who are highly qualified just having to do really menial cleaning and cooking jobs i think the fact that they were sold this idea that they'd be entering this feminist utopia is what made that stuff all the more messed up yeah I know. I I just don't even know what to do now. So Audrey Gelman has now stepped down and she's gotten two black women, Celestine Maddie and Ashley Peterson, to take over the day-to-day management of the company. And they're in the interim supported by Lauren Cassan during this period, who also co-founded it with Audrey. But she's kind of less in the, um, I don't know, less in the limelight. Limelight, yeah. Um, But they sent an email about that. And the thing that I've been kind of grappling with since all of this has been happening is I want to see the changes the wing makes to remedy this and I want to see these women succeed but it literally does just feel like that kind of glass ceiling thing where you just throw the reins across to in this case black women and try and get them to help the problem it just and also I just think that it's been so damaged the damage is done I just cannot see women of color or minority groups wanting to be associated with the wing or wanting to work there or wanting to support the wing. And then that just takes away from everything from all of the reasons we wanted to go there. Yeah. So I, this is such an interesting topic and I feel like it expands beyond just the wing to a lot of the stuff we've seen happening this week, but it is that two sided thing of it's the name recognition, the space that they've built, the network they've created is so massive that it seems like a shame to not hand that giant ball of potential over to two black women or two women of color and to let them turn it into what it could and should have been. To me to not do that would seem like a shame. Mm. But at the same time, I agree with you where I feel like there's there's just something that doesn't sit right with me about all of these white editors and CEOs and founders stepping down. They seem to be getting a pat on the back for it 
whereas it kind of feels like you like I get they're going to be losing money I understand that it's not like a best case scenario for them but it also just feels like things are getting really difficult and they're having to um answer for their actions and be held accountable and they're just bowing out and saying nah I'm just gonna get out Mm -hmm. of here they're getting a pat on the back and then the hard work begins yeah (laughs) which is remedying this and they just don't have to partake in any of that hard work and I just think that that's something that is worth thinking about that's what I, that's what i mean it's, it's difficult because i'm not saying i wanted audrey gelman to stay on i'm just saying that it's kind of convenient that now she can bow out after creating an extremely racist company <laughs> the thing is is like alexis what's his name serena williams husband who's a little angel from reddit yeah he stepped down before all of this because nothing had happened, just because he's a good guy, stepped down to make way for a person of color to become CEO or whatever. Sit on the Reddit board. Yeah, on the Reddit board yeah. um, as a little angel that he is. And then I think all of these other people are kind of getting the, the idea from him and thinking that that's the noble thing to do because he did it. But it's like it's less noble when you've fucked over entire minority, minority groups for years and you're stepping down because there's an issue. And have been literally forced yes, out. it's different. Yeah. <laughs> So I think another interesting one in this context is Man Repella and Leandra mm. Medine. Because it seems like a very similar... Um, actually, no. We won't say it's very similar because there haven't been accusations of literal staff abuse by Man Repella at all. It's very different in that yes. sense. But similar in the sense of the wing and Man Repella occupied very similar... Places. Places in culture where it was all about a kind of subversion of traditional media and doing something in a new way and doing it in a way that was exciting and interesting and millennial focused and most importantly, inclusive and woke. So these were two publications, these were two things that we kind of felt really aligned with our values as young millennial women. And they've been two of the biggest, most high profile things to go during this period. So it kind of showcases just how performative inclusivity can be, how you can have an inclusive Instagram feed and it cannot reflect anything that's going on in the company at all. I also, side note, cannot handle, I sent you this, Man Rappella's homepage right now. They they literally, the three main images is a black woman, a Latinx woman and an Asian woman. I'm like, I've never seen that on your yeah. homepage before and I get that you're like trying to make amends, but it just is not looking it just looks insane after Very doing that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, basically their allegations are that they couldn't retain black and brown staff, laid one off at the beginning of COVID. Another said she was ignored in the months before leaving. Um, they And also the thing with Man Repeller is now they're saying they're going to be inclusive, but they've never been, when you think about it, we're just cis white women. But when you think about it, They've never been inclusive. They barely ever feature any plus size clothes or people. Um, the also, and we have been talking about this in recent years, where we talk about the articles that they post. Are, it's kind of so skewed towards finding a boyfriend, heartbreak, marriage, um, and all kind of skewed towards straight white women. Yeah, and a very specific type of straight white woman, someone who is wealthy. Yeah, it's like it's like man, a manic pixie dream girl, but in the opposite sense. There's, there's a specific girl who is a man repeller woman, and she's rich, she's stylish, 
She probably lives in like Soho. Manhattan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, totally. Totally. And I think it's I think it's a testament to how low the bar is for fashion that Man Repeller was celebrated as inclusive. Mm. You know, because the bar for mainstream publications is so incredibly low that even being a fashion publication that is in some way inclusive, where you occasionally include women of color on your homepage or on your staff, that gets held up as this amazing woke publication to follow because the bar is on the floor know. you know and i think that's what they've been kind of victims of i also think is that they've never felt the need to look internally because they just seemed so ahead of the game compared to other people i also think that it really feels like all of the cool girls at school who are mean to everyone and exclusive and who are really exclusive and who bully everyone are finally getting outed for being like that that's just what it feels like with all of these <laughs> yeah. companies and all these people. I'm like, yeah, they market themselves as being completely different to how they actually are. It just feels like the school bullies. Yeah, and I also think we've talked about this a few times, but I've always said to you and you've always or we've always said to each other that there was inevitably going to be a next step of Me Too that extended to non-sexual harassment in the workplace mm. just emotional harassment physical harassment but mainly emotional manipulation bullying um holding people back from upward mobility uh making people feel uncomfortable in the office when they speak out about something uh the language used in the office that makes it feel non-inclusive these are the things we're seeing happening where the reckoning isn't necessarily about, you know, the terror of sexual intimidation, but it is about entire staff members in these industries who are manipulated, bullied, emotionally abused uh, in these awkward, quite insidious ways, mainly by other women. Mm. And it's a lot more difficult to kind of talk about it because it's maybe less uh, obvious or it's harder to like catalog. But I think what we're seeing with these things is that a lot of these workplaces are founded on this basis of you're in the click with the boss or you're out of the click with the boss. And this person's going to get back. This person's going to move up really high, really quickly. And these people aren't. And we're going to be told that it's just because this person happens to be talented, but then we ask everyone about it. And it turns out that a lot of the time, black women with 15 years of experience and an Ivy league graduation are getting left behind for women. Who's like daddy wrote a Mm. screenplay or is on the board with the editor's husband or whatever that, that everyone has been made to feel like their work isn't valuable and so they just think that and now this has opened the floodgates of everyone comparing notes and saying, no, we all felt like this at these different companies. I know. And now we're finally able to say something about it because people will finally believe us for the first time. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad it's happening. Okay. Sorry to cut this short, everybody, but dinner is ready. I've got to run. We've hit our marker of an hour and we love you. We love you. Go back if you want more and listen to our Kitty Cash episode and we will see you on Saturday for another really great conversation. Yeah, see you on Saturday. Love you. Rate, review, rate, and subscribe. Rate, review, subscribe. Bye. Love you. Bye. 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 Bye.
That is so annoying. You've got to cut that. <laughs> bye, bye, bye. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.